Tonight, we find ourselves in Romans chapter 12. We've finally gotten to Romans chapter 12. And uh, I, I would like to say you all know these verses by heart. But for some reason, we have a tendency to think that kids in Awana need to memorize verses. And sometimes we forget that we need to too. Just saying. So I'm going to read it in the Holman Christian Standard just so that it's different than what you might be used to. And again, one of the reasons why I do that is because uh, sometimes when it's just a little bit different, it makes you think a little bit about uh, what it's saying. Um, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your love, for your care. We recognize, Lord, that more and more we are seeing that we need you for every moment of the day, which is a good thing. Uh, We do ask, Lord, that you would guide and direct us in our understanding of this passage and that uh, it would be one that we would take to heart and put into practice. Father, we uh, ask that you would uh, continue to guide and direct us as a church, knowing that one day, soon, we're looking forward to seeing your Son. In his name we ask these things. Amen. Okay, so Romans 12, 1 and 2, the believer's supreme act of spiritual worship. So uh, you're going to see that this uh, two verses broken up into four sections, uh, the soul submitted to God, the body submitted to God, the mind submitted to God, and the will submitted to God. Probably could have gotten it all onto two pages, but I had to review some of the mercies we've seen in the previous 11 chapters, and so um, that's approximately how much space I needed the third page for. So, uh, letter A, the soul submitted to God. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. The word beseech there is parakaleo. It means to call near, to invite, to invoke, to beseech, to call for, to be of good comfort, to desire, to give exhortation, to entreat, or to pray. It connotes exhorting, admonishing, or encouraging, calling alongside in order to help or to give aid. When Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit in John 14 through 16, most of our Bibles translate it the Comforter. Uh, the word there is uh, paraclete, okay, or parakletos, uh, our divine helper. Now, in English, a paraclete is normally used in construction. Uh, I'm sure it's used in other areas, but it's construction I am uh, familiar with. So, But uh, normally, if you have some scaffolding and you've got a couple of boards up there, or if you have two boards that you're using as a ramp, you put a paraclete that ties the two boards together so that when you're putting, pushing a wheelbarrow up it or something, they don't just spread out and let you fall through. So it's uh, to hold it together, so come alongside. And so therefore, this is a gentle command that can only be obeyed by brethren. 
And so we take a look at the word brethren. What Paul was about to teach came with his apostolic authority. In Philippians, verses 8 and uh, not Philippians, Philemon, sorry about that. Uh, verses 8 and 9, it says, Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such as one as Paul the aged and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. So as an apostle, Paul could have given a mandate, okay, using the governor's words. Uh, He could have given a command, but he chose to call upon Philemon to do something that was the right thing to do. And so uh, that's the idea here. Also, he is asking them to do what they should do, though it is a command. It's a gentle command. Number two, he addresses them as fellow believers. The idea there is equality, okay, uh, to encourage them to fulfill what God has already put in them by making them new creatures. You'll see the verses Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27. Now, I, I know I talked about the new covenant again last week, and of course in Romans 9, 10, and 11, talked about the new covenant. Oh, let me see. I think back in chapter 8, I talked about the new covenant. And once again, I'm going to do it, but it's going to be from a different passage. He says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. You might remember in John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he says, unless someone is born of water and of the Spirit, this is the verse he's referring to. He's not saying unless they've had a physical birth and a spiritual birth. Why? Because obviously you can't be born again or get into heaven if you haven't been physically born. All right? Make sense with me? Okay. So therefore, he's saying, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. So notice, as a new creature... You already have the desire to do what God wants you to do. And so what Paul is calling these people to do is fulfill what God has already put in you. That's one of the reasons why pastor gave us the affirmation of faith. You start seeing what God says is true about you. So if you have this quote-unquote low self-esteem. It's actually a high self-esteem, by the way. Okay, for, for those of you that want to buy into the self-esteem argument, it's a high self-esteem. Oh, nobody likes me. Why should anybody like you? You're a dirty, rotten scum of the earth sinner. Okay? Uh, that's the truth of the matter. A high self-esteem looks and says, I deserve better than this. Yes, we have high self-esteems that, yeah, I know everybody likes me because I'm wonderful. But the other one's a high self-esteem too. A low self-esteem, a true biblical self-esteem recognizes, I'm dust. And yeah, it's, it's humility. It is looking to God. So when we uh, come here, we recognize that I am totally accepted in the beloved, Ephesians 1.6. I am forgiven I have been cleansed, 
Ephesians 1, 7. And if you go through chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Ephesians, you're going to find at least 22 things that are true about you, not because you're you, but because you're in Christ. I am totally righteous and therefore accepted by God, not because I get it all right. I mean, I'm married, okay? You just ask my wife, okay? Now, I get it mostly right, right, dear? Oh, well, that shoots that whole idea. (laughs) Okay, but uh, uh, so he's addressing them and saying, hey, just be who you are in Christ. Um, Notice number three, an unbeliever couldn't because they have no given they have not given themselves to God. Romans 8, 7 and 8 say, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Uh, when, when we talk about the concept of free will, which we don't have a problem with free will. Some people say, you're Calvinists. No, we believe in what we call sovereign grace. God sovereignly chose to put his love on us and to extend his grace to us. In so doing, as I think I said Wednesday night, there are like 283 things that happen at the moment of your salvation. One of those things, he opens your eyes to truth. He helps you to see your need for salvation. Uh, he gives you the gift of faith. He, he, and when, when your eyes are open, it's kind of like, okay, let me see. Jesus died for my sins and rose again. He's my only way to heaven. Continue to live in sin and go to hell. Hard decision, right? Well, it is for someone whose eyes aren't open, Okay. But for someone whose eyes are open, whoa, yeah, I'm choosing heaven. And it's not all about heaven. It's about Christ, about glorifying him. And so when we talk about whether or not someone can choose, they are at war with God being totally depraved. So if God doesn't do something, they're not choosing. Well, they are choosing within the parameters they've been given. He's my enemy. I don't want any of that. When our eyes are open, we have new parameters. We still choose. But if it's not for God, we're not choosing. And that would be why right there in Romans 8, 7, and 8. How about 1 Corinthians 2, 14? But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. What's true about the natural man? He is spiritually blind. His heart is hard. His neck is stiff. So on and so on and so forth. Okay, so that brings us to letter C. Therefore refers back to the doxology that we see in 1133 to 36. And since I'm going to reference this a couple more times, let me read those three verses for you. Four verses, sorry about that. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, How unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has ever first given to him and has to be repaid? And from him, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So therefore, 
refers back to that passage. Notice, for of him, through him, and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever, amen. The desire to glorify God only comes through the new birth. And again, referencing Ezekiel 36 there. I'm going to put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my ways. I'm going to give you the desire to do what I want you to do. And so that's where we find ourselves. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Now, I don't know about you, but <coughs> excuse me. I've been saved for 41 years, and I've known about the mercies of God. I've known that I deserve to go to hell and stuff like that. But for, for many of those years, I would have to say there was just a certain amount of that flesh still hanging on that God was... Well, he was gracious. He was merciful. I was glad of that, but we still weren't on really good terms. And, and part of that was my lack of faith, my distrust of his person. And uh, thankfully, he's kind of worked me through that and put up with me in all of that hard-headedness. Uh, and so when we come here and talk about the mercies of God, notice the most precious mercies. Number one, we are loved. Now, for those of you that grew up in some kind of a loving household, and it's kind of like you just kind of take that for granted, hallelujah for you, okay? But that's not where I come from. So when I got saved, I would have to say that it took me about six months before I would even call God Father, okay? And then to, when you, when you think of the fall of Adam and Eve, yeah, everybody says that God cursed them. Well, we know that he cursed the serpent. But if you look at what he did to Adam and Eve, those seem to be more along the lines of disciplinary uh, situations that would hopefully bring them to the point where they would want to get back to him. Yes, they were kicked out of the garden. Why? Because God didn't like them anymore. No, 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 no. And so they couldn't eat from the tree of life and therefore live in that sinful state forever. Okay? And so, yes, the, because you have done this, the ground isn't going to give forth like it would have. Uh, yes, there's going to be ch pain in childbirth. Uh, I love Benny Hinn. He thinks that uh, uh, somehow God had hinges on a woman's belly and kind of open it, get the baby out. It's kind of like he, he says the way women give birth now was not the natural way before. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of weird teaching out there. <laughs> but uh whole point being is uh, they made clothes for themselves, right? Uh, fig leaves. And what did God do? Yeah, those really aren't going to last that long out there. So let's put some real clothes on you. And in the process, took care of a sacrifice that would pay for sin and stuff like that. But uh, so uh, he, he loved us. Let's look at a couple of verses. How about uh, Romans 1, 7? Oh, shame on me. I didn't put that one in. Oh, yes, I did. It's right there. Uh, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, it's a simple statement, beloved of God. But it means that God loves us, okay? So when the bad things happen in life, God loves us. Uh, when you think of uh, what happened to Ellie, um, God loves us. Imagine she could have sat there 
called her dad not have dis, uh, disengaged her seatbelt. God loves us. She did that naturally. She was probably going to try and find a way out of the car. But before she could, boom, she's over in the passenger seat and uh, probably saved her life. Uh, so, yes, even with the bad things that happen. How about Romans 5.5? 5? Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Uh, you know, the very context of this is trials. God, why are you doing this to me? How about, God, what are you trying to teach me? Because I know you love me. You're not, you're not being a pain to me. You're trying to show me something. So what is it? Okay, uh, Romans eight thirty five. Who shall separate us from the lo- love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Again, we've already gone through that passage. But when you look at the lists that are there, it's everything. Shall life, death, everything is covered. Nothing separates us from the love of God. Uh, eight thirty nine. Nor height, nor depth, nor any created uh, thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, Romans 1, uh, 6. No, that's the next one. It says, uh, we are loved and have received grace. 1, 6 and 7 again. Among whom also you are called of Jesus Christ, to, who, uh, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you. Uh, Romans three twenty four. being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, Romans 5, 2, through whom we also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Uh, Romans 1, 20 and 21, moreover the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Uh, ver, uh, chapter 6, verse 15, uh, what then? Shall we uh, sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. So we have received uh, grace. Uh, how about the mercies reflected in his power of salvation? I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. How about his great kindness toward us? Romans 2, 4. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Uh, Romans eleven twenty two. Therefore consider the goodness and the severity of God on those who fell, severity, but toward you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you will be cut off. How about forgiveness and the propitiation or the satisfaction of our sins, whom God set forth as a propitiation or a, I just gave you the answer, satisfaction by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Uh, Romans 4, 7 and 8. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute uh, sin or iniquity. Uh, how about uh, his, the mercy or the gift of freedom from the power of sin? Romans six eighteen, And having been set free from sin, 
you became slaves of righteousness. Romans 7, 6. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. How about the gift of reconciliation? Romans 5.10. For if, we were the, uh, if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Or, if you will, uh, to be justified or the gift of justification before him. Romans 2.13, for not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Uh, Romans 3.4, certainly not. Indeed, let God be true and every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. Um, the confirmation, uh, confirmation to his son, Romans 8.29, for whom he foreknew, he all pre, also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Uh, how about uh, glorification? Verse 30, moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, whom he called, these he, he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. How about eternal life? Romans 5.21, and I've already read that one to you, so I didn't put it here. Shame on me. Maybe it's down here further. Uh, nope. So I've already read it, apparently. Uh, Romans 6, 22 and 23. Now, but now having, set, uh, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness in the end, everlasting life. Why? Because the wages of sin are death, is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. How about uh, resurrection of our bodies? Romans 8.11 uh, But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you, both now as you walk with him as well as one day. And of course you can continue to read. We have divine sonship, the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. He intercedes for us. Love poured out in our hearts. Whole point being is, these are some of the mercies. I've already listed a bunch. How about uh, number six? In Christ, we also have received the mercies of faith, used 30 times in Romans 1 through 11. Peace, you see three times, four times there. And then hope, two more times. It includes his shared righteousness. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven times in Romans 3 and 4 and 5. Uh, glory, one, two, three, four more times. Honor, another time. His sovereign mercy, one, two, three, four, um, four to five times. Whole point being is when we talk about uh, by the mercies of God, he has just spent 11 chapters talking about all these mercies. And yes, I could have gone on reading uh, verse after verse after verse, but uh, we're not going to do that to you. Uh, we want you to get home before midnight. <laughs> so, uh, the soul submitted to God, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Um, the body submitted to God, that you present your bodies. 
Well, why, one might ask. Well, 1 Corinthians 6.13, food for the stomach and stomach for the food, but God will destroy both it and them. Now, the body is not for sexual immorality, or if you will, the pleasure that food can bring it, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. 6.20, for you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So that's why. Okay, that you present your bodies. The word present there is peristomy. Uh, it is used in the uh, LXX or the Septuagint. That's what the capital uh, letters stand for, 70. The Septuagint was translated by 70 Jewish people. Uh, it is used of the priest placing an offering on the altar. It carries the idea of surrender or yielding up. I remember hearing someone talk about you know, I don't hear people talk about surrendering in this day and age. And I thought about that, and it's kind of like, you know, that is really what so much of the Christian life comes down to. Uh, Lynn and I have had a busy weekend, and uh, she's not sleeping too well because she's got this uh, uh, cough thing going on where she's sucking on a cough drop all night long. Yesterday I was uh, sanding a lot, and uh, breathe in a lot of dust. Well, that causes my allergies to get going. And um, so last night I woke up about two o'clock and uh, I think dinner was saying hi and the uh, constant drip in the back of the throat was saying hi. So I was up for about an hour and a half and then went back to bed. So uh, today uh, we were both a little bit tired. And Joe calls and says, hey mom, uh, you mind watching the girls while I do the shopping? And Lynn's going, I really would like to rest. But this is just another one of those times to die to self. I'm like, yeah. When the girls left, my wife, I think, was energized. <laughs> she had spent some time walking down the road and then coming back and then having to walk back down the road because little Izzy decided to throw her shoe out the uh, stroller and <laughs> she had to go back and pick it up. But uh, and, and so I was picking on her on the way here. We were talking and she goes, uh, boy, I tell you, I just really I loved having those girls over today. I said, yeah, dying to self is so hard, isn't it? <laughs> and yes, it is. But as we surrender, we, we get the blessings of the surrender. Uh, because surrender, yielding, saying, okay, God, whatever you have, uh, that's really what we've been called to do. So here is, uh, notice it, uh, it, it is in the imperative, again, it carries the weight of a command, and this is what the command is, to present our bodies since God already has our souls through salvation. I, I, I wanted to start with uh, the song, I know not why God's wondrous grace, you know, that one, uh, but I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed. Well, what did we commit? Now, this is a Bible verse, Paul talking in Timothy. What did we commit? We committed our souls to him. We gave ourselves to him at salvation. And now he's saying, I want all of you. I want your body. Uh, when it comes to the area of giving, if you look at 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, biggest passage on New Testament giving. And the first thing that God wants is not your money. Because it's not yours. He wants 
you. And then we can talk about how much you're going to give. Okay? And again, go back and look at the passage. I'm not going to tell you how much to give, uh, though I get paid because you give, and I thank you for it. <laughs> um, so it is an imperative, carries the weight of a command to present our bodies. Uh, he already owns our souls. Uh, so again, the concept of surrender. Uh, this is for God. What do I got to do now? So it is more than just the outer shell. When people think of our bodies, and it's interesting because when you're talking to people about Christ and about uh, dying, uh, what's going to happen to you? Well, I guess they'll carry me to the graveyard. It's kind of like, no, 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 no. That's not you. You happen to live in that body. Okay? But e- even we as Christians at times kind of get our minds compartmentalized and we kind of forget about that stuff and we think that this is us and this is not us, but it is part of us. Notice number two, it includes our unredeemed humanness. Wait a minute. Or if you will, our flesh. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, your flesh. Uh, The sin that is in you. Romans 6 and 7 explains that whole thing, but what are we talking about? So notice it says, so therefore it includes the evil desires of our mind, emotions, and our will. We're supposed to present all of that to God also. Let's look at a couple of verses. 1 Corinthians 9, 27, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. So if I am disciplining my body and bringing it into subjection, I'm recognizing there's a part of me that wants to go someplace else, right? And I am keeping it under, by God's grace, keeping it under control so that I have a, uh, a viable testimony to back up the words that I'm going to share with people. Okay? Now, how am I doing that? By God's grace. Because I'm presenting all of it to God. It's not like, okay, the good parts of me you can have, the bad parts, you really don't want them. No, no. Look, the only way you're going to overcome those is by presenting yourself to Him. Why do we struggle so long with some of the, the pet sins and things like that? God, I'm trying. He goes, stop. Give yourself to me. And I'll show you more as we go along here. Uh, another uh, verse here, uh, 2 Corinthians twelve seven. This is where Paul says, I know a man who was caught up into heaven, right? Uh, 2 Corinthians twelve seven. And lest I should be exalted above nature, by the, uh, above measure, by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above na- uh, measure. So sometimes the, the sinful things that we're dealing with, that's God's design for us to submit, to yield, to surrender, because that's the only way we get through it. And he, and he says that in that passage. Um, let me see here. A couple more verses. No, uh, next section. Number three, because our bodies are unredeemed, they must be continually yielded to the Lord. Uh, Romans uh, 6 12 and 13. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies because you're a new creature. You're no longer a slave to the master of old. You now have a new master. You've been raised together to walk in newness of life. Because of that, don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies. So we grab a hold of that and say, okay, I'm not going to let it. 
No, you missed the point, okay? It goes on to say that you should obey it in its lust. If it's a battle between you and the lust of your flesh, who wins? The flesh does. The only way you overcome the flesh is by the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walking in the Spirit is not you trying harder. Okay? It goes on to say, And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness as sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. See, when we battle temptation, very often we're looking at the temptation. We're trying to resist in our own strength. But there's still a part of us that sits there and says, Oh, that stuff is, you know, it's, it's fun. Come on. Oh. And, and that's how the battle goes until you fall on your face. Every man is drawn away of his own lusts and enticed. He's seduced. Yes, Larry. E.M. Bounds has that in his uh, book on prayer. The idea of when you ask God for help, you're implying that I'm going to be about the business of doing this, so I just need a little bit of your help. I can do most of it, but I need some of your help. And when I first read that, it's kind of like, no. And it's kind of like, Lord, guide me. Give me grace to do what you want me to do in this situation. And don't help me. Uh, lead me, uh, bring me through it. Uh, how, and again, look at uh, uh, every temptation that overcomes you is common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tested or tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation provides a way of escape. We all like that idea that you may be able to endure it, to be able to go through it in a way that's pleasing to him. Well, the only way you're going to do that is by His grace, His strength, His power. When you go to James chapter 1, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, lacking nothing. And if any man lacks wisdom, if you're not sure how to get through this thing in a way that's pleasing to God, ask. In faith, God's not going to get on your case if you're asking for wisdom. He's going to give it to you, and He's going to give a lot of it to you. But that's, that's a focus on God. The few verses later, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. Now, please understand, the trial was brought by God. When it becomes a temptation, God didn't bring a temptation. He brought the trial. The focus of the person determined whether it was a trial or a temptation. I want to please God, you're asking for wisdom. And you'll become an overcomer and you'll receive reward. I want to please me, it's a temptation, and you're going to fall on your face. Uh, Whole point being is when we come back here, we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, well, we haven't gotten to the holy and acceptable part, but our bodies are unredeemed, they must be continually yielded to the Lord. That's how we overcome these things. And, and, and please, I'm not saying it's easy, okay? It, it really is learning how to trust God as we're going through things. 
Now, I'm speaking from 41 years of experience, and in many of those years, there were lots of failures that I didn't want anybody else to know about because what would they think? I know you Christians are a bunch of judgmental people anyway. <laughs> you know, I'm just uh, seeing what you would say there. Uh, the, the reality is, is we can be, okay? But, uh, and, and no one wants anybody else to know what they're struggling with. Well, you're missing part of the victory by not having someone you can talk to about it that understands the failure, understands the struggle, uh, because that's what we're supposed to be about when, as far as church. Let no man forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. By God's grace, he has given me victory in these areas. I know he can do it for you. When you're struggling, if you need to call me, well, then call. Uh, please make it before 9 o'clock. No. <laughs> um, yeah, sometimes it's inconvenient. Well, then call because the reality is is we can at least get you, your mind thinking right, and we'll see that as we go along here. But so that we can finish, let's move on. We're to present our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. Notice the need for dead sacrifices ended with Christ's death. Hebrews 9, 11, and 12. Let me see if I can find it. There it is. But Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come, that new covenant, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. So the, the need for dead things, uh, that, that's gone. Uh, the word for holy here is hagios. It means sacred, physically pure, morally blameless, or religious, ceremonially consecrated. The most holy one or the most holy thing, or another way the word can be translated is saint. Okay? Doesn't mean you act like it all the time, but that's what you are in Christ. The Old Testament sacrifices had to be without blemish. You might remember that from Leviticus 22.22, Deuteronomy 15.21. But we see also in Psalm 24, 3 and 4, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. You know, we have a tendency to think, yeah, we're in the New Testament. We don't bow down to idols anymore. Uh, I challenge you to read through Elise Fitzpatrick, uh, her book called Idols of the Heart. The heart is a manufacturing plant for idols. No, we don't have the little statue in our house with the candles around it. You know, that kind of a thing. But yeah, we do worship other things other than God at times. And of course, uh, if we're going to be holy and acceptable unto God, uh, we cannot be doing that. Uh, notice the, this is acceptable to God, letter C. Notice uh, number three, which is your reasonable service. The word for reasonable there is logikos, rational, logical, reasonable, or if you will, of the word. 
This is basically the conclusion that if you follow the Word of God, it brings you to. And if you think it through, it's very logical. I don't know about you, but uh, one of the reasons why I like sharing the gospel is it's very, very logical. And, and I try to be a relatively logical person. Part of it is because I'm a guy, you know, I only think of one side of the brain at the time, that kind of thing. Uh, girls are, can be logical too, but it's attached to everything else. and We don't understand it. <laughs> but uh, the, the reality is, is look, you've got a, a holy God who cannot have sin in his presence. You have sinful man. God becomes a man, lives the perfect holy life that none of us could live, and then dies to pay the wages of sin that satisfies the holy God. And then his righteousness, when a person believes, gets put on their account, and now we can have fellowship with him. That's totally logical for me. And the fact that he rises again proves that he's God and that sin has been paid for. Everything's cool. Okay? Uh, So the logical conclusion is that you belong to him. And so it's a reasonable thing. Uh, It's part of your uh, worship, your reasonable worship. And again, notice letter B, because of 1133 to 36 and the mercies presented, our only reasonable conclusion is to worship God through spiritual service. Now, here's where things get a little bit crazy. This morning we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and we're talking about the weapons of our warfare, our spiritual, not carnal, but spiritual. If you look at the context, Paul is going to be arriving in Corinthians. These Corinthians have been being told by some false teachers that Paul's just a ding-dong. You know, he shows up and he's really kind, but he writes these letters with real big words. Is it kind of like, yeah, I wouldn't be listening to that guy. And he says, hey, guys, you decide. You want me to show up and be bold? I'll show up and be bold. I know I'm going to be being bold with some of these guys. But he says, the weapons of our warfare. Oh, the conflict that he has with these false teachers, it's spiritual. He doesn't need to go in there and beat them up. Like to at times, but, you know, He's going to go in there and he's going to spiritually, if you will, put them in their place. He's going to speak truth and he's going to convince the followers of Jesus that they need to stop listening to this guy. Well, when we talk about service, I've been saying for a long time that a good work is that which is done in the power of the Spirit. Now, why is that important? If you think about the things that we do in church, teach Sunday school, uh, do an Awana lesson, listen to some kid uh, say his Bible verse, and all those kinds of things. We say that's spiritual service because it's done in the church. There's an attitude among many Christians, and I'm assuming they're Christians, that church is something you do on Sunday morning. I want you to understand something. As I said last week, It is as we're walking with God through the week. So your spiritual service is changing someone's oil in their car. 
I'm not saying you have to change oil. If that's what you do for a living, that's your spiritual service. If you're building FAA teens, that's your spiritual service. If you're a janitor, that's your spiritual service. If you're teaching piano, that's your spiritual service. Whatever it is that you're doing, this is your spiritual service. You're offering that day everything that you do to God. Now, you're up on the roof, and you're putting nails in, and you don't got the nail gun that Chuck has, and you hit your thumb. <laughs> I did that once. I was working on a car, and the ratchet gave way. And I said, oh, praise God, glory to Jesus. And the, the mechanic that was working with me said, what did you say? <laughs> I can't tell you that's how I respond all the time. <laughs> but the reality is, is, that's your spiritual service. Now, if when you hit your thumb, you came out with something other than praise God, glory to Jesus, um, that was your spiritual service at that moment. We know that someday we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's going through the fire. going to burn up. And if you're doing a, oh, I almost slipped and said half. If you're not doing a very good job where you're working, that's your spiritual service. You're supposed to be glorifying God with that thing. That's why it's important to present your body as a living sacrifice. You're continually surrendering yourself to Him. Why? Because you're going out and living as a light shining in the midst of a dark and perverse generation. Like I said last week, you are God's outreach program. We don't need to be meeting here on Tuesday nights or Wednesday nights or Thursday nights or whatever and going and knocking on doors where people really don't want us to be there. We need to shine as lights where we are. And what Lynn and I listened to a, uh, a preacher today uh, podcast. What did he say? When you're looking at the church, it's a beautiful mess. But he said, come on, what's the, that line that he came up with? Love your people more than where you ha- than you hate where they're at. Yeah, we, we do. As Christians, we complain about this or that. We can get disillusioned with the, the ministry. We can complain about what the church isn't doing. And he, he says, there's always less happening than you want to happen, but there's always more happening than you think is happening. Well, one of the benefits of being here for 20, almost 30 years is you start to get to know people and you start to realize, oh yeah, they've never been out on visitation, but they are reaching their neighbors. Oh yeah, she doesn't come to church as much as I think she ought to. But she is witnessing to the people that she does their hair or or or. Whole point being is we can complain about all the stuff we don't see happening in the church, but chances are if you get to know the people in the church because God is at work in the people in the church, more is happening than you know about, even though all the things that you wish were happening might not be happening. And when you get to that point, you start to recognize, ah, some of these people, they understand their spiritual service. I am a light on Monday. I'm a light on Tuesday. I'm a light on Wednesday. I'm a light on Thursday. I'm a light on Friday. Uh, Dave and I, we get uh, parts from Al's Automotive, which is right next door to my house. And uh, they allow me, not Dave, Dave gets good prices because mechanic, you know, they allow me to get his prices. Why? Because their alarm went off a couple of times and I called the police. 
got the police there. The police called the manager. The manager comes in. Oh, a sign was blowing and caused the uh, sensor to go off and the alarm went off. But how do you guys know about it? Your neighbor called. Just being a good neighbor. And so I go over there to get something. It's kind of, hey, let's give you the garage price. That's like 45% off the retail. I like that. <laughs> um, and I've even gone to them and said, hey, you know, occasionally I help other people in the church out. Can I buy parts for them? They said, sure, we don't care. Because they're getting their money, okay? Retail price is just more. <laughs> it's a bonus. Uh, but again, whole point, if you're not presenting your body as a living sacrifice, then Monday you go to work and what are you doing? Complaining about your manager or the coworker. Going and uh, sitting at the water fountain and gabbing about sports on Sunday instead of being the example that you ought to be, that kind of thing. Uh, so all of this comes into play. It, it uh, has to do with recognizing that uh, the service or the worship, notice the next word here, latreia, is the ministration of God or the worship. Uh, it, this is the service, the reasonable service. It is used to describe the Old Testament priests and their activity. So when they were putting the, offering the sacrifices, when they, when they were uh, uh, taking care of the in, uh, altar of incense and things like that, that was all part of their divine worship, and that's what you're doing when you're going to work on Monday. Okay? So that brings us to the mind submitted to God in verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world. Uh, you can look at the word there as suskematizu. What? <laughs> uh, I want you to see that I have not Im- I not only emboldened it, but I have uh, italicized part of the word, but not part of the word, because the root word here is schema, or where we might get the word scheme. It means to fashion alike or conform to the same pattern, to conform to or fashion oneself according to. In 1 Peter 1.14, Peter says, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to your former lusts as in your ignorance. Okay, uh, that's the idea here. Uh, it refers to an outward expression, not what is within. So here's my behavior, my external behavior that we're talking about. Um, It is used for masquerading or putting on an act by following a specific scheme. And it's in the passive imperative, which means don't allow yourself to be conformed. Okay, don't allow yourself to be conformed to this world. Uh, 1 John uh, 2, uh, 16 says, for all that is in the world. Okay, now when we think of that, we immediately... For whatever reason, especially this first one, the lust of the flesh, we automatically go sexual immorality, okay? Listen, the lust of the flesh is the desire of the body, okay? It can refer to sexual immorality. How about the desire for safety, In our country right now, we have just gone through a couple of years where the desire for safety from a disease that killed approximately 0.5% of the people that caught it. 
and I'm willing to conform. I'm willing to do whatever they tell me so that I don't get it because if I got it, 99.5% chance I'm not going to die, but I might die. I have heard people say, I did everything they told me, and I got it anyway. Maybe it's because they were lying, which I said in May of 2020. And some people get upset with pastors when they say stuff like that because you're not a scientist. No, but I listen to them, okay? And uh, my whole point being is, what does God's Word say? Your days are numbered. You are not staying here a day after the day that God says you're going to die. And you're not leaving a day before. I.e., or let me give you an example, Ellie. I don't know about you guys, but the, the reports I was getting last weekend, we don't know if she's going to live. And initially, no brain activity. Then it was, we're going to wait two days to see if she's even going to make it. Three to four days before we give you any hope. Well, within four days, she had so, showed so many positive signs that she was going to make it. It's kind of like, praise God, glory to Jesus. We're still praying, okay? But what could have killed her didn't. Why? Because God still wants her to be here. So why, why are we worried? Why are we listening to a lying world because we desire safety? Living in this world is not safe. Okay? Climb up on your roof. Get on a ladder. Look at some of the videos that you'll see on Reels or uh, Facebook of uh, uh, dash cams. Some of the accidents, kind of like, what on earth? This guy was driving right. It was someone else that did something. It is absolutely crazy out there. And if you think you're going to get safety by following the rules, you are deluded. H whole point being is don't be conformed. Don't believe what they're telling you. Don't masquerade. Don't allow it to happen to you. Now, obviously, uh, we'd like to put in all the spiritual stuff. Uh, don't dress the way they dress. Don't don't believe the lies that they're telling you. That's the idea here. Okay? So uh, we see that uh, the, the word for world, don't be conformed to this world. We all immediately think Satan is the one that's behind the cosmos. It's not the, that world. The world, word here is ion, which means an age or a perpetuity, uh, the sum of demonic human philosophies of life. Okay, when you think about the wisdom of this world, <laughs> a global warming, well, first it was an ice age, and then it was global warming, and, uh, and when global warming didn't work out, now it's climate change, right? Can I tell you something? This world is going to end because of warming. God is going to burn it all up, but it's not going to be because I drive a truck, Okay. It's going to be because he's going to recreate it. I don't know if he's going to let the molecules depart from each other, you know, fusion uh, explosion or, or whatever the case is, but he says he's going to remake the whole thing. And when he remakes the whole thing, it's going to be kind of like Eden all over again. 
And then he's going to put sinful people on it. Huh? Yeah, I mean, this is the millennial kingdom is paradise earth again, and there's going to be sinners here. Yeah, we're going to be glorified up in heaven. They're not. They're going to live for a thousand years unless they're openly rebellious, and then a child's going to die at the age of 100. The man who dies at the age of 100 will be considered accursed. Why does he die? Because Christ is ruling with a rod of iron. <laughs> okay? But whole point being, with everything so well at the end, what's going to happen? They're all going to join Satan and go up against Christ, and that's not going to last very long. But again, uh, whole point being is we don't need to worry about... Now, should we be conservators of that which God has blessed us with? Sure. But the science does not prove that driving a truck and using gasoline does any of that. There's a consensus among scientists. Science isn't a consensus. Okay? They're lying in this age. Oh, by the way, this has been going on for quite a while. I think it was 1989 they said that if we don't get a hold of this uh, global warming in the next 10 to 12 years, uh, the earth is coming to an end. Oh, by the way, the fix is always raise your tax money. Um, It's kind of amazing. And yet people buy into it. So uh, don't be uh, fashion. Don't be uh, in in this age. Understand that the sum of demonic human philosophies of life uh, are not the way to go. The realm of our spiritual battles. Uh, When we hear this kind of stuff, especially when they say there's a consensus among scientists, they only pick the scientists they like. Uh, By the way, evolution Evolution is a faith, okay? You, you have to have more faith than we do in order to believe evolution because there is no evidence. There's all kinds of evidence, but it doesn't prove our side. It doesn't prove their side. We both start with a presupposition, and then we prove our points from our presupposition with the evidence at hand. Part of the problem is is they use a methodology, I think it's called universalism, where they choose the facts that they like, the facts that help them. They don't use all the evidence that they have. They use the evidence that helps them. They do the same thing with global warming. They've done the same thing with COVID. They use the facts that they like. They don't use facts or all of the facts. So that's why you cannot uh, be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word transform there is metamorpho, to transform, change, transfigure, transform. It connotes a change in that outward appearance. Instead of going along with them, there's going to be a change. It is used of Christ when he was transfigured in Matthew 17, 2. It says, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. And, excuse me, his clothes became as white as the light. I mean, he's walking around with a bunch of fishermen and then goes up on this mountain and woof. He, you see some of his glory. Uh, that was transformed. Uh, it is also a passive imperative, which means we are to let our inner redeemed nature to be manifested outwardly. Or if you will, this is not unlike uh, where it says, don't uh, put off the behavior of the old man, which is being corrupted. Okay, it's listening to uh, the the world and the demonic philosophies and stuff like that, and saying, "Ooh, ooh, ooh, D- don't go there." Okay, be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man. 
Now, when you got saved, you put on the new man. So what are you doing? You're acting like who you are. Just like back there at the beginning of this lesson. Be who you are. Let it show. I'm a new creature. And here's the way I used to be. Here's the way I am now. It's not that the battle still doesn't go on inside of me, but I recognize, nope, that's not who I am anymore. So I live out who I am by the grace of God. Um, Although we aspire to this outward change, it can only happen through the Holy Spirit enlightening our minds with the Word of God. 2 Corinthians 3.18 But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now notice, you see both of them in there. The Spirit of the Lord is doing the work. And how's He doing it? By showing you what Jesus looks like in the Word of God. Or, if you will, by showing you where you fall short in the Word of God. That's something we need to work on. Okay, let's work on it together. That's the idea there. Okay? Um, The uh, next word there, uh, by the renewing of your mind, the anakinosis, uh, renovation or renewing, our minds, or if you will, our heart, when enlightened by the Holy Spirit, are convinced of the truths that we see in the Word of God. Now, this is one of the reasons why we ought to be studying and listening to and reading the Word of God over and over and over again. Normally, we have read it in the past. This year, we've been listening to it because when you're listening to it, you're concentrating and you're, ooh, I didn't see that before. And if you listen to it all the time and you're to read it, you'd go, ooh, I never saw that before. But it makes your brain think a little bit. But it's through that that the Holy Spirit does this work. Notice the next, top of the next page. Behavior comes from the heart or, if you will, from what one believes. In Matthew 15, 18, it says, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man. Okay, uh, Mark seven twenty one. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed. What do we know comes out of the uh, heart? The mouth speaks, right? But look at what it says: proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murder. So what's coming out of the heart? Behavior. What does it take to murder someone today? According to Jesus. To be angry without, with him without a cause. That's all it takes. It's the same punishment, he says there in, in the uh, Beatitudes, uh, of what murder is in the Old Testament. Huh. It starts with the thought life. So what one believes in the heart or in the mind is, uh, it comes out from the, uh, as behavior. If you believe lies, how will you behave? If you believe that the grass is greener on the other side of the fence... How will you behave? You will want to get on the other side of the fence. And how many men have believed that lie? Uh, I can't remember which preacher said it. If you see that the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, maybe you need to be watering your own grass. Okay? And boy, that is not uh, a falsehood. I hear people in marriage counseling, well, I just don't love them anymore. Okay? Do you want to obey God? Yeah. Yeah. Well, then start serving that person. Start doing things for them. 
Why? Because you will gain a great appreciation for that person as you serve them. Husbands, love your wives. Serve them. Lynn took the kids on for a walk, and she left the kitchen an absolute mess. <laughs> and so I do what I do. I load up the dishwasher, and I start washing all the pots. So when she comes home, it's kind of like, I let her clean the sink because <laughs> it's just not important to me. <laughs> but I, I took care of all the dishes for her, okay? Why? Because I love her. She does so much for me. It's not a problem to do the dishes. I don't like doing dishes, but someone's got to. Plus, I load the dishwasher a whole lot better than she does. <laughs> Oops, someone just got slapped on that one. <laughs> but, but again, if you believe truth, how are you going to behave? Well, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not... The idea of hiding it in your heart is you're believing it. It's truth to you, okay? Uh, I have been guilty of spiritual adultery I don't know how many times in my life over the years, okay? I have never been with another woman uh, since I got married. Again, my life before I got saved, so on and so on, okay? But my whole point is, is uh, what kept me? Because I knew... I can't do that. Thy word have I hid in my heart. I, I, I've known for a lot of years that you look at a woman in lust, you've already committed adultery in her, with her in your heart. And believe me, that was a struggle of those first several years after I got married because that was, that's the, what I was habituated to before I got saved. And so it took time, but God gives victory. But notice, uh, and this is what I was telling you about earlier, notice what Jesus does. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Notice when he is being tempted, he's not looking at what he wants. He's looking at what God wants. Here's what God wants. Man doesn't live by bread alone. He's dependent upon his father. Uh, how about verse 7? Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. I'm here to please him. That, that's the only thing that matters. How, how about verse 10? Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So if you believe truth, how will you behave? You will want to do that which is pleasing to God. So uh, this is also the focus of Paul's ministry. In Colossians 1.28, he says, Him we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect or mature, complete in Christ Jesus. Uh, how about uh, Colossians 3.16? In speaking to these very same people, what does he say to him? He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Okay, so it is by believing truth, it changes your behavior. It's by renewing your mind and understanding what God wants. That if you're, if there's going to be a change in your life, it's because of the work of the Spirit of God through the Word of God in your mind. And that brings us to the will submitted to God, the second half of verse two, that you may prove. Uh, this is a purpose result phrase. Uh, the word for prove there is dokimazu, to test, to approve, to allow, discern, would be a very good uh, translation here. When a believer's mind is transformed, his thinking ability 
and spiritual understanding give him the ability to see things from godly pers- uh, from a godly perspective, or if you will, from God's perspective. Okay, one of the reasons why I love Proverbs is Proverbs doesn't just talk about wisdom like it's something out there. It's, here's what this kind of person is like. My son, don't go in that direction. This is what's going to happen if you do. Okay? Well, that's just like God telling all of his children... You want to know what I think about this particular subject? Here it is. It's laid out for you. We are to seek God's wisdom, God's understanding as we're in the Word of God, allowing our minds to be renewed so that our behavior is transformed, not to look like the world, but to look like Christ. That's the whole point here. Um, Number two... Uh, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Uh, the word for acceptable here is you are restus, fully agreeable, well-pleasing. And you can see the list of verses there because of time. I'll let you look them up. And as far as the perfect will of God, there's that word, teleos. You might remember a word that Jesus used at the end of his time on the cross. to Tetelestai, right? This is a, a perfect or a pluperfect word. That's why it's got more than teleos there. It's te-tele, you know, that kind of thing. And it's got a prefix and a suffix. Uh, it is finished. It is completed. Everything that needs to be done, been done. So here that you may uh, discern what is the good. That's going to be anything that's done in the power of the Spirit. Acceptable. God is well pleased with this activity and his complete or perfect mature will for me. That's the idea there. So people can come to a different understanding on a lot of things depending on where they are in their walk with the Lord. It is interesting when we're talking about the moral law, nine of the Ten Commandments are repeated in the New Testament. The one that's not repeated is covered as a topic, and that would be keeping the Sabbath. We hear pastor talk about that from time to time, and I don't know about you, I sit there and say, I have to work on Saturday, and Sunday, and Monday. I get Tuesday off, but on Tuesday, I wanna, I'm making a Murphy bed right now. I need to get that thing finished by Thanksgiving so I can bring it to Kansas City. And Where's my day off? In Hebrews, it talks about there is a Sabbath rest. Those that walk by faith cease from their own labors. Now, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't find a day that you can sit and recreate, if you will. But what I am saying is throughout the week, as the Spirit of God gives me grace to do the things that God has called me to do, I'm able to rest while I'm doing those things. So I'm still getting that. But after you get past the moral law, what can you do? All things are lawful for me. Not all things are expedient. And there's a couple of passages in Corinthians that talk about that. Uh, Another thing, whatever you do, whether you eat hot dogs or steak, do all to the glory of God. Now, I I know it doesn't say hot dogs or steak in there, but I kind of like hot dogs and steak. 
Some people would rather eat hamburgers. It bothers me since I lost my gallbladder. You know, I don't know. Um, that's another one. And then there's another one. I got to concern myself with what other people are struggling with. Well, if you're struggling with something, let me know because I don't want you around when I'm having my steak. <laughs> uh, that kind of thing. But, you know, it really is left up to you discerning what God would have you to do in all of those situations. And it might be this way one time and this way another, depending on what's going on around you. Well, the only way you're going to understand how to do that, you present your body a living sacrifice. Don't be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed, be changed by the renewing of your mind, by taking in truth and walking in yieldedness and surrenderedness to, okay, Spirit, lead me. Guide me. Those that are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Walk as a son. Let's pray. Father, Daughter, for some of you. <laughs> Father, we thank you again for your love and care for us. We thank you for the mercies. There were so many that were listed here tonight. Uh, wow. And Paul covered those and more in those first 11 chapters. And the logical conclusion from all of that is truly, we've been bought with a price. We belong to you. Give us grace, Lord, this week to start to see how we need to surrender ourselves to you. Looking to you for wisdom for our day-to-day, moment-by-moment. Looking to abide in Christ so that we may be fruitful for your honor and glory. Lord, our desire is that you would be pleased, but not because we're doing something, but because We are the instrument that your spirit uses to do something. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.